Welcome to Bound and Determined, the podcast. I am your host, Meg McKean, and I am also the founder of Adjunct Advisors. There and here, I hold space to support, to empower, to grow alongside with, and to celebrate all of the women in insurance. I am so glad that you're here. Before we jump into this week's episode, two important things coming up that you need to know about. On September 15th, I will be hosting my next Ask Me Anything. It's exactly as it sounds. Bring your questions. Let's talk about insurance sales. How about career paths? Maybe you want to chat about starting a small business. Maybe you just want to be a fly on the wall. You are welcome there. The very next day, Aaron Brown and I will be co-facilitating the next round of a six-week mastermind focused on imposter syndrome, navigating that in your life and in your work. To learn more, head on over to adjunctadvisors.com forward slash more. This week, I am joined by Tammy Feller. Tammy Feller is an account manager. She is with an independent agency in Iowa. She is also my friend and former next-door neighbor in this episode. Tammy tells us her story and giving herself permission to change the ending. I was inspired in the conversation and know that you will be too. And just a heads up, in this episode, we will be talking about substance abuse. If this is a sensitive topic for you or someone you know, happy to share some resources for you in the show notes. Off we go. Oh, Tammy, this is like all my worlds colliding all in one place. I can't believe that we are in a time and in a place to have a conversation like this, considering how it is that we came to be acquainted so many years ago. If if we've said that the insurance world is small, uh, this proves the point. So I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. And thanks for being willing to come on and tell your stories today. I am grateful. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So I would love to hear in your words where it all began. Tell the story of how we came to know each other. So back in probably 2006 or seven, my husband and I and our family moved to Illinois and I I believe you welcomed us. And then somewhere along the line, we were met at a CIC class, Um, you know, sat in a class for two and a half, three days, and then realized that, hey, you're my neighbor. So after that, a friendship formed, and here we are 14 years later. It's so fun. I love it. And you're right. So we occasionally get a listener on the podcast who is not in the insurance industry, and I'm always happy to have them. So CIC, for those not familiar, is the Certified Insurance Counselor designation, and it's something that is unique to our industry that requires some in-class or back then in class now, a lot of virtual learning and some test taking. So it was in that conference center, in that hotel that day that we put two and two together that we actually already had met and were next door neighbors. So from there, you're absolutely right. What a, what a wonderful chapter of my story that was. And we've largely kept in touch through social media, which is how how the world works. You and your family moved to Iowa and then I, I got divorced in that process and moved to Chicago where I am now, but I've, I'm grateful to have kept in touch in that way since then, which is how we really came to be reacquainted more recently and why I invited you uh, on to have this conversation with me on the podcast. But tell me about where you are in the world right now. So tell me about how you plug into the industry, 
what is your reality in this COVID environment that we're living and working in? So I work on the agency side, been in the business for about 21 years, currently working at home like most of us. And uh, the COVID situation for me, while I don't like to see people getting sick and the, the world as it is, this is my dream. I love working from home. I love it's brought me back to myself, I think. I'm able to hop on my computer in the morning, start working after I go for my walk in the morning with the dogs, um, go outside again for lunch, log right off when I'm done at, you know, five o'clock or whenever and be back to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just a dream. Yeah, I understand that. And I, I respect and I know you do too, how differently every single one of us is experiencing the current reality. And I think about the Tammy that I knew 14 years ago, who was raising two young kids, two active young kids, and how different that reality would have been if that was your situation now. And so timing, right? And right. and huh. thank goodness for technology and, and all of the tools that we have, but mm-hmm. also respecting that that that's not everybody's reality. And it can be, these are challenging times in a lot of ways. So. Right. My heart goes out to all the moms and dads who have the little ones with the juggling the school and work and whatnot. I am happy to say that that's not my situation right now. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. So you shared, we're, we're Facebook friends, and I've mm-hmm. shared before on the podcast, I've been for self-preservation purposes, trying to limit my social media exposure so that I am consuming only things that fill me up instead of taking away because I... I think we would all agree there's a lot going on on social media that can be very distracting. But one of the things that you had shared was a celebration of, um, was it a year? I think that you had shared since you had last consumed alcohol. And I thought that's a story that I want to hear. And that's what prompted me to reach out to have this conversation. And I would love for you to fill me in, bring me up to speed. We intentionally have not talked about this because I want I want to hear the story firsthand from you, um, and then and then we'll go from there. So alcohol, growing up, was a part of my life. I grew up with alcoholism in my family, um, and as a young child, adolescent, young teenager, I had always said, I'm never going to drink. Um, of course, life happens, peer pressure happens, and probably around the time I was a junior in high school is when the drinking started. Um, and not to any kind of problematic drinking. It was just teenage drinking, partying, whatnot. But as I grew, I knew that that feeling was always in the back of my mind. When we'd go out, I would remind myself, try to only have two drinks or, you know, don't get drunk tonight. Um, or just don't go stay home because I had the feeling that I couldn't control the amount of drinking I was going to do. And as that progressed, I had several times throughout my life where, you know, I would wake up in the morning after what I felt like was too many cocktails the night before. And the anxiety was absolutely horrible. I'd wake up crying. Um, I couldn't remember things that had happened the night before. Um, when, my, when my husband would talk about things, I would act like I knew, but you know, it was all, it was blurry. And it's not like I was a drink every day, get drunk all the time person. These occurrences maybe happened, you know, when I was younger, maybe six or eight times a year. And then as I got older, maybe even just two or three times a year. But 
I didn't like to face the person I was in the morning. And I didn't like to face the people who I was with that night before. So, um, sorry, the emotions are coming out. I, um, <laughs> thank you already. I, I'm just grateful for you for being here and, and sharing as you are. Thank you. Um, so that day in 2019 was Easter Sunday and I woke up with the crying and the, just feeling a, like a bad person and not being true to myself. So I said for the last time, that's it. And I didn't want to fail myself or feel like a liar again. Um, and here I am um, 16 months later and I've never been happier with myself. You can do hard things. It's one of the things I just wrote down. You can do hard things and you're proving that to yourself um, every day. I want to add a huge disclaimer to this conversation. You've just disclosed so something so exceptionally personal and I'm so grateful for that, but alcoholism as a disease can look so different for, for every individual person and can require a completely different approach that literally making a decision that comes from inside you may not be enough. And I want to make sure that anybody listening knows that this isn't everyone's story and that there are resources beyond the context of this conversation right. <laughs> today to help us if that's, if that's what we need. So I feel compelled to, to say that. But I also feel compelled, my friend Tammy, to say that we sat on those back patios many summer nights having cocktails. Sure your did. Family, your kids <laughs> running around. And mm -hmm. those were some really, really great memories. And I'm, I'm also conflicted in the sense that you can have really f a lot of fun and you can be building great memories, but also be really frustrated or disappointed or feeling um, uncomfortable with who you are in the process. And I think for a lot of people, it's hard to unravel those two. I would love to know what did the next day look like? So that was Easter Sunday. How did you keep going? Did you tell people what you were doing? I know and love your husband, Paul. I would love to know if you don't mind sharing how, yep. how was that decision for you as a couple? What did that look like in practice? It's one thing to make the, yep. the stand, right? But how, how is that? Cause I imagine it's an ongoing journey. When I told him, I'm sure his thought was, I've heard this before, um, but he's always my biggest supporter. And he said, whatever you decide is fine with me. I don't think you have a problem. You didn't do anything wrong yesterday. You didn't say anything wrong. Um, but I told him that I have to do this. I'm done feeling this way. And he has supported me 100%. My kids support me 100%. And thinking back to those days on the patio, we had great times, great memories, but I always wanted to be the person who could say that their kids did not see them drunk. Unfortunately, my kids have, and while I've apologized to them, I still feel kind of guilty. Not that they care, or they've always told me, you've never done anything wrong, or, you know, we're fine with how you are, mom, we love you. So I've got the best supporters that I could ever ask for. Yeah, you do. You you have, well, from what I can see from my vantage point, um, and I'm not surprised that they've turned out to be great, great adult human beings, but they were really special kids back when, when they would be running around in the backyards while, you know, those yep. memories were being made. We're going to depart a little bit, same topic, but 
One of the things that, and I'll just add, I, I certainly enjoy a cocktail now and again. The pandemic has been a really interesting experience for me because I'm largely sheltered in place alone. And so there's a lot of socializing that happens via Zoom happy hours, if you will. And mm -hmm. I learned pretty early on that pouring a glass of wine or two and getting a nice emotional energetic kick from one of these happy hours there was a great fallout from that when I would turn the computer off and I would turn the lights off and then I would be alone. And I realized that in the moment, the wine was welcome and I enjoyed the camaraderie of it, but there was a sense of loneliness that would kick in. And so my personal consumption of alcohol has changed um, in a big way since we've been in this current reality. Now, as the world opens up, I'm not sure what that's gonna look like. But when I think about the insurance industry, we joke as an industry about two martini lunches and the good old days when deals would be done over lunch on a cocktail napkin. And, and I, I have been known as an underwriter back in the day to have been given a bottle of wine as a, you know, a quote unquote incentive. And I'm not proud of that, nor am I saying I consumed it at the time, but, but there is this underpinning in so much of what we do socially within the insurance industry that involves alcohol. And so granted, we have a little bit of protection in the current environment, but when the world opens up again, how do you feel about seeing this decision through and really advocating for yourself and what's right for you in the next normal, whatever that looks like? So I'm glad you brought that up because it is such a big part of our industry and our workspace. In the past, when my kids were active and in you know, sports and stuff. I, I usually had a reason, like if I felt like I didn't want to be in that situation to say, oh, he has football or she has swimming or, or whatever, and I could get out of those situations. I think now that I've been vocal enough that I don't drink, I think, you know, people are accepting of that and typically they're not judging of that. So I guess we'll see how that goes when we do open up. And I don't expect that to happen for quite a while. So I don't think I'm gonna to have to cross that bridge yet for you know maybe, maybe even a year out. We do, I have seen some changes recently where carriers have taken us out to breakfast mm. rather than the happy hour, which for me is absolutely fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, just a small, you know, four person group and breakfast, chat about family, chat about business have some coffee and you know that's right up my alley. I love that as an alternative and I mm -hmm. wonder I wonder how many of these things that we're doing temporarily will will actually be here to stay in the long run. Lisa you and I are about the same age give or take. I'm super curious how and and maybe I'm just riffing I guess is the word but how much just growing and experiencing life and living affects our ability to do what we want and what we need to do. You know where I'm going with that? Like I think about the 25-year-old version of myself who would not have had the confidence or the strength to stand in a circle at a happy hour with important people at an important company and say, oh no, I, I'll pass on the cocktail I choose not to drink. I think peer pressure and, and really trying to fit in and assimilate within a corporate culture plays a big part in how, how we show up and how we act. And then we build some of those habits and it's really hard to unravel them once they're there. Does that resonate with you? Uh, absolutely. You think that once you're out of high school or 
you know, your young college years or whatever, the peer pressure would go away. Once you're in the corporate world, you expect to be professional, yet there's this other underlying expectation that you're fun and outgoing and the life of the party. And if you're not, then you kind of get left by the wayside. And I think people have to realize that always being the life of the party or the one that is drinking or socializing the most is not necessarily the place where you find your true self and where you can help yourself or others learn and be the best version of yourself you can be. I love that. And I know you get this because you're a mom and, and we don't have that in common, but knowing you as I do and watching how you, how you parent with a a flexible but consistent <laughs> approach. Um, just the example that you set, not just for your kids, but for the people around you. And I think there are probably women coming up in the business who are really craving that example and, and not seeing it. So just simply having this conversation about another way, another alternative is is really powerful, but also I was just on a, on a call with someone and we were talking about how you collect these little sound bites. So a seed is planted and then you hear something in a different conversation and then you read an article and then you, and then all of a sudden you have a life experience and you're at a decision point and then your life is different. And it's, it's really powerful to think about how these stories can turn into change and to different outcomes for people, which, which I really love. You and I connect in another way. Um, I wish we still lived next door because we'd have things to talk about every day. <laughs> but I made a decision. It was a, a total random New Year's resolution that I was just going to do for 30 days. And then it ended up sticking. And that was eating vegan. And yes. I learned through that process and social media that that's something that you have also adopted. And when we talk about restrictions and limitations <laughs> and mindset and advocating for yourself, uh, another great example that I have experienced and eight years later still do in my day to day as I am very comfortable with that for myself, but still have people around me that are, you know, just eat the cheese, Meg, don't you miss the cheese? I'm like, no, I really don't miss right. the cheese. I really feel good. And I, this is the right decision for me. And I love that we have a choice, right? So right. do you mind telling the, how that came to be? So gosh, probably about 10 years ago, I was having headaches like on a daily basis, um, not migraine or anything like that um, just nagging headaches. So I was taking ibuprofen like it was candy. Came to find out that um, my kidneys started to fail, <laughs> um, and it was due to the sensitivity to the ibuprofen. So while I was freaking out, thinking I was you know on my deathbed, I had a great doctor who discovered that I need to cut the ibuprofen out, um, and I was on my way. But then. I started having different health issues like severe stomach cramps and vomiting every time I ate and just kind of scary stuff. So this progressed probably over the next five or six years. Finally went to a chiropractor who suggested I do a cleanse. Um, I did that for 21 days and it wasn't a vegan cleanse at that time. Um, and I felt fantastic. It was a turning point where I started really researching what I was putting into my body and what harm or good it was doing. Went vegetarian first for a couple of years. Again, it was a New Year's Eve, New Year's resolution. This was like, I'm done with meat. And it was easy. I've got a mindset where it's all or nothing. But then as I researched more and started following doctors um, who promoted a plant-based diet, um, a couple of years ago on New Year's Day, I was like, all right, I'm done with everything. And here I am today. And 
I feel wonderful. I don't have any of those issues I had previously. Um, I don't know what caused them, but I definitely know that my way of eating has helped them. Mm. Yeah. And I, it's not something I'm educated enough to debate, right? The what's actually going on physiologically, but I completely agree with your experience because it was the same for me when, when I talk about what happened physiologically to my body in those first 30 days after I made the change, that was the motivation to keep going. I didn't totally understand the chemistry part of it. And I still don't (laughs) frankly, but this program of eating is what works for me. And like I said, initially, I love that it's a choice and I'm grateful to be in a city like Chicago where I can go anywhere and have have options, and that's not the case for everyone. So I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's, and I'm not saying. Listen, I have been to a really nice um, steakhouse and had a baked potato and you know broccoli for dinner and have had a lovely exactly. time. <laughs> what it's helped me to realize is that those experiences are so so little about the food on my plate and so much more about the experience with the people around me. And it's really de-emphasized food, which is such a big part of our culture. And I respect the tradition of food, but it's been a really interesting exploration into, huh, we can still get together and we can still share a meal. I just may not eat what you eat and that's okay at the end of the day. So fascinating stuff. I love it. So you just said something and I'm going to have you go a little deeper because that's what we do here on the podcast. Um, You mentioned all or nothing. So you made the decision to go vegan, all or nothing. You shared earlier, you made the decision to stop drinking, all or nothing. What is that? Is that, has Tammy always been that way? Is that a, where does that come from? Do you think? I don't know where it comes from, but I feel like, yeah, I have always been that way. And Paul has kind of had to rein me in a few times, you know, kind of being like, you're being crazy, (laughs) you know, like knock it off. Um, I have another goal that I've set, um, probably going to happen next month is to walk a trail in our city. That's 25 miles long. I don't know why I want to do that. I just do. (laughs) So I'm going to do it, you know, just, I don't know where it comes from, but I like to set goals and I like to challenge myself and, um, I like to hit my goals. So there's always something. No, I love that. And I think the psychology of setting, I'm going to say small goals, but none of the things you've talked about are small. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to (laughs) diminish them, but maybe more mm, like short term, maybe it's, it's 25 miles in the next six weeks. You're not, you know, it's not a someday kind of goal, but setting a short term goal and then being able to achieve it. What that does for us psychologically is is wonderful in terms of our confidence and our ability to take chances and take risks. And I think it's great. And I, I love the idea of consistently challenging yourself and keeping your eyes and your ears open for ways to do that. Because on paper, you don't present as a risk taker. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't already know. I mean, you, <laughs> you have a very, I would say, traditional existence in the world. And so I love as we dig a little deeper, that there's these little pockets of opportunity that you're seeing and you're taking. Because at the end of the day, we don't have to accomplish massive things in order to show up and to keep going, you know, in this, in this life on this planet. 
I think it's great. Thank you. This is so hard because I want to like, I don't want this to all be one-sided, but it's a podcast and that's how it works. <laughs> like, how are the kids? What's going on? <laughs> you won't necessarily go there, but I do track them on um, social media and I'm so glad to see where they are in the world and what they're, what they're, they're accomplishing. They're wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So we've never done this on the podcast, but I feel like the time is now. Part of why... I hold this space and why I, I wanted to create this podcast is that we come here because we don't always have the answers. We're often in the messy middle, so to speak. We're figuring things out. And so many podcasts exist because experts come on and they tell you, go do these five things and you will be successful and you will have all the things that you aspire to have and achieve great things. And that is wonderful. But sometimes we just need to know that it's okay to not know and not have all the answers. So I would ask you from your vantage point, if a woman listening was curious and was considering a change and a, a short-term goal or something in her life that she could see but wasn't quite there, what's one thing that she could do to take that step, that first next step? I think a great first step in planning your goals is to share that with somebody, whether it be on social media or with a best friend or your child or your significant other, tell them what it is and why you want to achieve it and get them on board with supporting you. It's almost like we plan that because accountability is a huge part of what I do in my work because we need it as human beings. We mm-hmm. we're really good at putting things out in the universe and then not holding ourselves accountable. We, we keep the promises we make to other people, but rarely to ourselves. So I love that. I love that unprovoked that that was your response. And I completely agree with you. And I see, I see the interaction and the interplay between you and Paul. And I know that he's such a great supporter of yours. I mean, beyond vegan hiking, drinking, you know, just in the, in the universe for you. And that's, that's a wonderful thing to have. And I think it's wonderful to see. Yep, I'm very lucky. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't have to be a romantic partner. Like you said, it, it could purely be a friend or, you know, someone that you're on this journey with. Tammy, you're wonderful. I wish so desperately that we were in person so I could give you a hug. Thank you for being here and for sharing your story. And frankly, for saying yes, when I asked you to tell it, I wasn't totally sure what your reaction <laughs> was going to be so um, that you went for it. I know the hard part is showing up um, and I appreciate you doing that for all the people out there who need to hear what you have to say. So thank you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, the podcast hosted by me, Meg McKean. Theme music produced and performed by Amy Gerhart's. Learn more about the podcast, including sponsorship opportunities and how to become a guest at adjunctadvisors.com. Thanks for listening.